conviction that, um, I mean, we, we've always had this part of our lives together, the, the ministry, Mike, since we've been a church. Um, it's not uncommon in many churches to have this, but it comes from a conviction that I've had that as I read scripture and I read passages like um, 1 Corinthians 14 or Ephesians 4 or Romans 12, I, I, I see this activity in the gathered people of God, among the people of God, of mutual ministry across the body. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, you have this picture of someone coming. Paul says, when you meet together, one of you brings a lesson, one of you brings a song, one of you brings a revelation. Some of you praise, to bring praises to God. Um, some of you bring prophetic burdens, words of wisdom and knowledge for the building up of the saints. And when in Romans uh, 12, we see this picture of exhortations being brought through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so you have the, the varied gifts of the people of God being used to bless the people of God and the, the traditional Western model, which is, you know, God can use, is that you you have someone leading music and you have someone leading the sermon, and the majority of ministry gets done through that in, in a gathering like this morning. But given our size and and given the reality of Scripture, I think the picture in Scripture that's more becoming is that you guys would bring blessing to each other through your encouragements, your exhortations, your prayers, your praises, etc. Um, and so that's what we're trying to focus on a little bit more this morning. And we're going to do this once a month for the next few months. We're going to try to take extra time. Every Sunday we'll have the ministry mic, but we're going to try to take, when we have communion Sundays, a, a shorter message, we're going to try to take extra time for this. So that's what we're doing this morning. And a, as a way to kind of encourage you, I, I wanted to talk about uh, communion this morning in, in a particular way. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's paying for our sins. And Matthew reports that he has this last utterance in the form of a loud cry. And when he makes that loud cry, something really, really significant happens, Matthew tells us. And we'll talk about what happens and what that means for a morning like today in our lives. Really for every morning, but especially what we're hoping to, um, to bless each other with this. And Matthew doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus says, but John's gospel reports that as Jesus dies, he proclaims, Matthew just tells us it was a loud cry, but John tells us maybe exactly what he said. John says that as Jesus gives up his spirit, he proclaims, it is finished. It is finished, paid in full. Um, and of course, we all know, hopefully, that what Jesus means by that is that the full payment for sins has been made. The full payment for our atonement has been made on the cross and Matthew tells us that when he says this and dies, there were signs of the gravity of what those words meant and what he had done on the cross. There was an earthquake in the region and graves are split open, which is a sign of the resurrection that is still to come. But in the innermost part of the temple, Matthew tells us a profound sign takes place. In the innermost part of the temple, there's a room called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. This is the room where, at least in the first temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the golden Ark that you remember from the Indiana Jones movie, that Ark is, is a real thing, and it contained in it the, the stone tablets that God had written the Ten Commandments on. I'm going to turn this monitor off here for a sec. It's buzzing, I think. Hopefully I can remember to turn it back on. Um, the, the, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments 
were in that ark. Aaron's staff was in that ark, budded uh, manna from the wilderness wanderings were in the ark. And that, that ark signified the covenant between God and his people that he inaugurated through Moses. And more importantly, on the, on the top of that ark, God said that his very glory would dwell. And so there was a manifestation of the glory of God on that ark. And that room was called the most holy place because that is where God's manifested visible glory dwelt. It was the very heart of the temple and it was the very heart of worship of Yahweh in the old covenant. God told Israel that his very presence would dwell in this room, the Holy of Holies above that ark. This room was so sacred that one day a year and only one day a year, the day of atonement, or you might've heard of as Yom Kippur, one man and only one man, the high priest of Israel was allowed to enter that room. On only that one day each year, and only that one man, no one else could enter the place where God's glory most visibly dwelt with the people that he had chosen to be his. And on that day, the high priest, after going through all kinds of ceremonial washings and sacrifices outside that room, he would enter the Holy of Holies where the very presence of God dwelt. And there on that day and only on that day, he would be allowed to dwell in the presence of God. And what he would do there would be to sprinkle the blood of a slaughtered bull for the sins of the people on top of that ark. It was called the mercy seat. That's what they called the lid of the ark. And that's where God's glory dwelt and that's where atonement for sin was made. Symbolically through the blood that he poured on that ark. But the other 364 days of the year, the heart of the temple, the very center of the worship of God's people, was to be empty. No one was allowed to be there. No one could enter God's presence. In fact, this room, the Holy of Holies, was separated from the rest of the temple by a huge curtain. And at the time of Christ, it was 60 feet high. And the best Jewish sources tell us that it was four inches thick. It was incredible, an incredible piece of, of architecture and text you know, textile, it was, I mean, if they're right, you know, four inches is, is about that. Four inches thick, 60 feet high. All of mankind on one side of the curtain, God's holy presence on the other side of the curtain, except for one day a year. This was God's way, among other ways, of signifying that he was holy, to be treated as such by all people. God cared about that room because he cared about protecting his holy name, even as he sought to dwell with his people. You guys might remember the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were Moses' nephews. And in the time of Moses, when God set up these tabernacle regulations, this temple worship, these two young men, these two priests, who were Moses' nephews, they decided to go into the Holy of Holies, that most holy room, the way that they wanted to in the manner they wanted to, in the time they wanted to. And they walked into God's presence. And the, the scripture says that fire came from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and killed them on the spot because they had no regard for God's holiness. So God is telling us with these things, I am holy, I am holy. 
Now let's come back to Jesus' words on the cross and this profound sign that takes place at that moment. Matthew states that when Jesus cried from the cross, in John's words, it is finished, proclaiming full atonement had been made for all who turned to God through him, that this curtain, this 60 foot piece of cloth, this four inch shield separating God's very presence from the world outside was torn in two from top to bottom by God himself. When Jesus died, that curtain was ripped in two. This curtain which had stood for centuries as a symbol of the barrier between man and the very presence of God was torn in half. And the book of Hebrews makes it very clear for what we read this morning, that Jesus brought down this curtain because his blood has made a permanent way for all of God's people, for all time, to dwell in his presence. That's what we read this morning in chapter 10. If we could put it up, Brando. Thank you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, The author is making a a metaphor. That curtain, that veil is now Jesus' flesh. And that's how we come. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. The author is pleading with us. Believe. Put stock, assign value to the blood of Christ, to what he did. So that when you come into God, you honor God by believing, this is enough for me to come and be with you. This is enough for me to dwell in your presence. When you need grace and mercy, you say it because God's given you confidence that he will give it through what he has done through his son. And the one day, once a year, one man, it's no longer the reality. It's no longer one man, once a day, once a year for all the people and the rest of us forbidden. No, it's, it's come into God's presence by faith, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And that's why we exhort one another. That's why we talk about it so often that, that we should come to God through boldness through Christ into the true holy of holies, the spiritual holy of holies. God tells us that this temple on earth was, was just a picture It was just a sign of the true temple in heaven where he dwells. And that in our hearts, through faith, we are now called to come and dwell in his presence through Jesus for any and every single need, day by day, moment by moment, if needed, second by second. And this is what Jesus has purchased for us with his very blood. Access to our holy God's very presence by the blood of Jesus all the time. This is where we are now together as God's people in the presence of God. And we're to accept that by faith. We can't see it with human eyes because it's happening in a spiritual dimension, a spiritual realm that is more real than this, but it is true. But there's another reality that this temple, this curtain torn in two, points to. 
Because not only do we have permanent access to God, but through Jesus Christ, God now permanently dwells in us. In fact, we, all his people, have become the very temple where his very presence now dwells. No longer is God out there in a temple in Jerusalem, symbolically hidden by a man-made curtain. No longer is he out there. The scriptures tell us that now he is in here. In each of us who belong to him. And in us together corporately as his people when we gather. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is calling the church to live pure lives. He's calling them out of immorality and into purity. And he says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. Why should we honor God with our body? Because of this astounding truth, the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. We are the very temple of God. All that, all that holy culture, all of that sacred culture built up around the temple in Jerusalem for hundreds of years, centuries of regulations and washings and sacrifices and God's glory. That was all to tell you that you are now holy, holy, even more holy than that because the reality lives in you, not just the, the, not just the symbol, but the reality. For those who belong to Jesus Christ, God's glory through the Holy Spirit lives in you and you are his temple. And Paul says earlier in the book, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? And later in, in the next letter, he's rebuking them for making spiritual compromises with the world. But he doesn't just say, don't be bad, be good. <laughs> he, that's naughty, do what's good. He, he, he makes a much more profound appeal. He says, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. And he means Don't be compromising your lives in ways that are ungodly with people who don't know God. He says, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. What do righteousness and lawlessness share together? What does light have in common with darkness? What harmony does Christ have with Belial? That's a demon God. Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. The work of Jesus Christ not only purchased your access to God 24-7, he purchased you, your very selves, your body, mind, and soul to become the very temple of God. God himself living in you through the Holy Spirit. And that has massive implications for how we live. The Holy Spirit inside us is not inactive or neutral or dormant. We can grieve him. We can quench him. But the scriptures are clear that that he, if he belongs in us, he puts desires in us. He changes us. He changes our hearts to want what God wants. He gives us power to live 
how God wants us to live. He moves in our minds to give us insight about God. He teaches us about God. He gives us power to do works for God. Manifest himself in the various gifts that he bestows on us. Gifts of service, mercy, giving, or the gifts we're talking about at the ministry mic today. Prophetic burdens, praises, prayers, exhortations, encouragements. He lives in us to live through us. He lives in us to live through us. So this morning as we wait on the Lord to have power to encourage one another, as we pray for words to come, whether from us or our brothers or sisters, as we reflect on what's said from one another, weigh it biblically as we ask God to make our hearts effective for him. Let's remember what Jesus has purchased for us with his blood. Access to the very throne of God where he desires that we come with faith that honors him for every need. And more than that, let's remember that his blood has purchased us. We're now the temple of God where once he manifests his presence in a temple in Jerusalem, so now he dwells in his people. And you might feel very unworthy of that. And it's, it's probably good that you do in one sense, that we would feel unworthy in ourselves. But that's the whole point of the cross. Jesus doesn't die for worthy people. He didn't come to cleanse the clean. <laughs> He came to cleanse those who are covered in sin. He came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for the sinner, not the righteous. And covered by his blood, we are holy. We are holy. So this morning, because we've been made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ, let's expect him to manifest himself among us in care and encouragement, in any way he desires, for we're his temple, the place where his glory dwells. So as we take communion, let us remember this morning what Jesus has purchased for us, our permanent access to the throne of grace for every need, and his presence dwelling in us as we are his holy temple. This is what the blood of Jesus has won for us.